Good afternoon. Thank you for your presence this afternoon as we draw this study to a close concerning family life. Hopefully the things that we have discussed this far uh, in our study of family life has set before you the principles that will keep you from ever entering into the divorce court. We believe that if we follow the will of God, if we understand the design and the purpose of marriage as we discussed in the first lesson, if husbands understand their role and their responsibility toward their wives as we studied in the second lesson, if wives that we studied in the Bible class hour this morning recognize their role and the responsibilities that they have in this relationship, and then they as parents train their children to walk in the ways of the Lord, devote themselves to the teaching of the Bible in their homes, surely there would never be a reason to want to sever this relationship of marriage in which you have entered. And so in our final lesson this afternoon, we want to talk about the permanency of marriage. We want to recognize that marriage is, as we all vow, until death do we part. I know, and you know, that Statistics would tell us, although I've heard that argued that it's maybe not quite as bad as we say, but about half of the marriages that people enter into in modern times in in the divorce court. And Christians are sometimes prominently involved in the severing of the relationship of their mates. It was certainly a problem in the ancient world. It was a problem among the Jews during the time of Christ and even before. It was a problem among the Gentiles throughout the Roman Empire. And there's plenty of evidence to indicate that a good many people throughout the history of mankind have not taken marriage seriously enough to continue and to fulfill their vows until death do we part. And so hopefully our studies together can help all of us who have engaged in this study, help us to continue with our mates, working out the problems that we have, which we all will have, and that we will be able to abide with one another until death. But we need to understand that divorce was indeed a problem during the time of Jesus, during the time of John the Baptist, and we need to recognize that they were very firm on the permanency of marriage. They were very firm on a husband and a wife cleaving together, clinging together, sticking together like glue until death do they part. We recognize that John the Baptist went throughout the world introducing the Messianic kingdom by telling people that they needed to repent for the kingdom was at hand. And when he talked about repentance, he said you need to bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. The word worthy literally means to weigh as much. And we're to walk worthily of our calling, worthily of the gospel, which simply means that you put the gospel on one side of the scale, and you put your life on the other side, and when it balances, when it weighs as much, you're walking worthily of the gospel. And so whatever repentance calls for, you put it on one side of the scale, and then you do in your life what it demands, 
and you bring forth the fruit that is worthy of repentance. And in some instances, individuals were involved in relationships that were not pleasing to God. And when John the Baptist spoke to them about it, they would have to leave their wife or leave their husband in order to bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. And we know that that's how John the Baptist lost his life. But he nonetheless had the courage to say to Herod, who had taken his brother's wife, that it is not lawful for you to have her. And that didn't go well at all, and John was put to death. But nonetheless, John insisted that if you're in a relationship that is unlawful, that is not according to the will of God, it's necessary for you to put away your mate. And I know that's not an easy message to have to declare to people. And a good many of the people that we're involved in with Bible studies nowadays, we find are in relationships that do not comport with the teaching of the Word of God, and the relationship they're in involves them in an adulterous relationship. And we have no choice but to, in a very kind and a very loving way, seek to teach them and get them to understand that, that they indeed must put away their mate in order to obey the gospel and to live acceptably before the Lord. What God has joined together, Jesus said in Matthew the 16, or 19th chapter, let not man put asunder. And when the question of divorce came up early, Jesus dealt with it in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew the 5th chapter. And he says in that chapter that it has been said by some, you've heard that it was said, he says, and he goes ahead to discuss the matter of divorce. You've heard that it was said that whosoever puts away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement in Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 31. But I say unto you, everyone that putteth away his wife's saving, except for the cause of fornication, maketh her an adulteress, and whosoever shall marry her when she is put away commits adultery. So Jesus is saying that if we enter in this relationship of marriage, and we put away our wife for any reason other than fornication, other than the fact that she or he has united his or her body in one flesh with someone who's not their husband or wife. If it's any reason other than that, then there is no reason for divorce. And I know that is a hard saying. I know that is a difficult saying. And I know that it involves us in teaching that sometimes we don't appreciate and we don't enjoy. But nonetheless, we must remember that the truth shall set you free. And as John the Baptist said, if it's not lawful to have her, then indeed we must put her away or put him away, whichever the case may be. And over in Matthew, the 19th chapter, Jesus deals with this again. And in Matthew, the 19th chapter... The Pharisees had come to Jesus, and they had questions of him, and they came to him and said, and they were testing him, they were trying him, Is it lawful, they said, for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Can a man just put away his wife for whatever reason? 
for any cause that might suit him? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? And he goes into what we've studied earlier in our series of lessons. He made them male and female, and he said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so Jesus institutes what we, or repeats rather, what we talked about in our first lesson on the design of marriage, that when we enter into this relationship, we forsake and abandon the family ties of which we, in which we grew up in order to establish our own family and cleave unto our wives, and we become one flesh. And so then he says, uh, when we do that, we are no more two, but then we become one. And then he says, whatsoever God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And then Jesus talks about the fact that during the days of Moses, because of the hardness of their heart, people were permitted to put away their wives. If they would give them a writing of divorcement, they could do that. That was permission that Moses granted that Jesus said he suffered and allowed and permitted because of the hardness of the people's hearts. But he said, I say unto you, this is my teaching on the matter, that whosoever, he says, shall put away his wife except for fornication, and marry another, commits adultery, and he that marrieth her when she is put away also commits adultery. And so again, Jesus on two different occasions emphasized the fact that fornication, that is to unite your body as one flesh with somebody other than your wife or husband, is the only reason that God would permit you to divorce your marriage. And then, by implication, if you marry again, you would not be involved uh, in an adulterous relationship. On other occasions, the matter of divorce was discussed in different contexts in which this was not the issue among the Pharisees and so forth. But these are the two passages in which Jesus talks about the permanency of marriage. And we need to recognize, as we'll look in a couple of passages, that God designed for us when we enter marriage, He designed for us to be bound to our mate so long as the two of us shall live. And so it's very important then for us to understand that we can indeed put away our wives or our husbands for a variety of reasons and decide to marry someone else and then our soul is placed in jeopardy. And we have to stand before God in judgment, living in what Jesus calls a relationship or a condition of adultery. And so if we go over for just a moment to the epistle that Paul wrote to the Romans, the apostle discusses for us this idea that God intended for marriage to be until death. And in Romans, the seventh chapter, where he discusses this matter, the apostle begins by saying, Or are you ignorant, brethren, for I speak to men who know the law? Beginning in verse 1, that the law had dominion over a man for so long as he lives. And so a man comes under the law, then he is controlled under that law so long as he should live. But, he said, for the woman that hath a husband, 
is bound by the law. She is tied together to this husband by the law itself, bound to him by the law to the husband while he is living. So long then as that husband lives, she is bound and she is tied to him. But he says if the husband should die, she is discharged. She is free, she is discharged from the law of the husband. So there is that law of marriage or that law of that husband that binds those two together so long as the two of them shall live. So then if while the husband lives, she be joined to another man, he says she shall be called an adulteress. But if the husband die, she is free from the law so that she is no longer an adulteress, though she be joined to another man. And so that sets before us what God designed marriage to be from the very beginning. Is that when you vow to leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife, and you unite yourselves together in the union of the body as one flesh, then God ties you and God binds you together until the death of one of those mates. And then when one of those mates dies, then you are free from the law of the husband, or you are free from this law of marriage. You are free to marry another. And in so doing, would be innocent. And would be free of any claim or any charge of being an adulteress. And so again, you see that the permanency of marriage is designed to bind a man and a woman together so long as they shall live. Now Paul talks about this again uh, in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, the apostle deals with a couple of different situations there. But you begin in 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, and you begin there with verse 10. And Paul, after he has discussed what we talked about in the lesson this morning, about that relationship and that responsibility that a husband has to meet the fleshly, physical, sexual needs of his wife and vice versa, he then goes on to discuss a number of things about marriage. And he said, but unto the married, in verse 10, he says, but unto the married I give charge. Not I, but the Lord. Now Paul makes it clear, here is a command or a charge that I'm giving you. But I want you to understand that it comes from the Lord. This is what the Lord says about the matter. And what the Lord says is that the wife depart not from her husband. And that's the word put asunder. That's the word that is used back in Matthew the 19th chapter that she depart not from her husband, and should she depart. Now, it's interesting that he makes this a charge and a commandment of the Lord not to depart. But he seems to cover the ground that some people will reject that charge. They will reject that commandment that has been authorized by the Lord and go ahead and do what the Lord charged them not to do. And that they will go ahead and depart from their husband. But should she decide to do that in violation of the charge and the commandment that the Lord gave, let her remain unmarried. 
or he says, else be reconciled to her husband. And he says also that the husband keep this charge not to leave his wife. And so Paul is saying to you and he's saying to me, if you decide to violate the charge of the Lord not to leave, not to divorce or to put away your mate, if you decide not to obey the Lord who has told you not to put away your mate, then in essence he's saying don't compound that by joining yourself to somebody else. Which takes us back to the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19. That if you should decide to violate the charge of the Lord and separate from your husband or separate from your wife, then don't compound that sin by joining yourself to another man or to another woman. And if you so do, then obviously, as Jesus teaches in Matthew 19, as Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, you are involved in an adulterous relationship. And so it is quite clear, again, as Paul said in Romans 7, that this is to be a permanent relationship. And we are to continue and to abide with our mates in this relationship until death. But then he goes ahead to discuss another situation. If you drop on down and he said, The woman that hath an unbelieving husband, if she is content to dwell, if he is content to dwell with her, let her not leave her husband. Now, some of these people, evidently had been called, as it were, had heard the gospel call at a time when they came to believe in Jesus and their mate did not, or possibly had married an unbeliever. But the point is, here is a relationship between a Christian and an unbeliever. And some people seem to think that they have found in this instance another reason for divorce and remarriage. But he continues to say, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified in the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified in the brother, else their children would be unclean. Now, what he is saying here is, that if you're married to an unbeliever, you as a Christian, and your husband is not a member of the church, that relationship is sanctified. That relationship is holy. Don't assume for a moment that because you're married to an unbeliever that you're in an unholy relationship. If you're in an unholy and an unsanctified relationship, then your children would also be unholy. They also would be defiled. And so he says, yet if. Let's suppose now that the unbelieving husband departs. This wife has obeyed the gospel. He doesn't like the change that's taken place in her life for whatever reason there may be. And he decides that he's going to depart. The very thing that a Christian is forbidden to do in the previous example earlier in the chapter. But he's an unbeliever. He's not under the law of Christ. He's not obedient to Jesus Christ. And so he decides to leave this relationship. And so as an unbeliever, he decides to depart. He says then that the brother or sister, in this case, the brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, 
But God has called us unto peace. Now some have concluded that since this unbeliever leaves the believer, when Paul says that the believer is not under bondage, they have taken the position that she is no longer bound to that unbeliever. Therefore, all this passage doesn't say anything about remarriage, but therefore she has a right to go out and remarry. And so if an unbeliever leaves you, that's a second reason, some would say, that you can remarry, go ahead and be divorced by the unbeliever or divorce him because he has left you and you're not under bondage, then you can remarry and be acceptable to God. But I want you to understand something about this verse. I want you to understand that the word bondage is not the word to bind. It does not say she is no longer bound to the unbeliever. It says she's not under bondage to the unbeliever. Under bondage means to be a servant. And it comes from a different word than the word bound or tied together. And it comes from a word to mean a servant. Now you understand that if a Christian is married to an unbeliever, that she is responsible to serve him. She's responsible to be a wife to him, just as we talked about in the Bible class this morning. She has to meet his needs. She has to meet his needs sexually. She has to meet his needs socially. She has to meet his needs in all the ways we discussed this morning. But if that unbeliever should depart from her, she is not responsible to serve his needs any longer. In other words, she doesn't have to chase him around and follow him all over the Roman Empire to be a wife to him. She is free from the service that she owes to her mate according to the will of God. And there's nothing at all here about saying that she is no longer bound in the eyes of God to that mate. That she's no longer tied to him, but she is no longer responsible to serve his needs. And I would caution you, as you study this passage of Scripture, I would caution you to recognize that there's nothing at all said about the right of this believer to remarry. That's not under discussion at all. Now, he does go ahead to talk about some other things, such as, as some people would use, that a man should abide in the calling wherewith he was called. And some have taken that to mean that if I come to understand the will of God, and I'm in a relationship that is adulterous that the Lord doesn't approve of, then if I'm called unto the Lord, if I hear the gospel call and respond to the gospel call while I'm in an adulterous relationship, God is telling me to abide in that calling. No, that's not what is said in this text. And if you go back and look in this text, the things that he's discussing here that we abide in are things like a Jew who is circumcised. There's nothing wrong with circumcision. And he's talking about the fact that if you're called as a Jew and circumcised, then 
there's no reason to be uncircumcised. Or if you're uncircumcised, there's no reason to be circumcised. And the things that he discusses in this context are things that are innocent, not sinful of themselves. Now, if you say, well, she obeyed the gospel in an adulterous relationship, therefore she can continue that, then what about if a person is called in the gospel when he's a thief? And he's robbing people to make his living. Or that he's a homosexual. Or that he is a fornicator. Can he abide in whatever his condition is under those circumstances when he is called? And so what Paul is talking about here, if you look at the context, are things that are not sinful. If you're circumcised, you don't have to become uncircumcised as some sought to bind, really. Or uncircumcised to be circumcised. Or if you're a slave. You can be a Christian and serve your master. You don't have to be free from that relationship in order to please the Lord. And so when you look at the illustrations that Paul talks about, he's talking about things that are innocent. Things that are not sinful within themselves. Then when you obey the gospel, you can continue to be a slave. You continue to be uncircumcised or whatever the case may be under the circumstances. Now, we need to recognize that there are a number of ways among brethren, but especially even in the denominational world, there are a number of ways that people try to get around what Jesus taught in Matthew 19 or Matthew 5. And one of the ways is to say, well, in Matthew 19, Jesus was living under the law, and that's the part of the law of Moses. And when he said there's only one grounds for divorce, that doesn't apply to a Christian. Are you going to say that about everything that Jesus taught in the Gospels? Are you going to say that about the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, that that's under the law? And we're not obligated to be poor in spirit or meek or low or whatever? Are you going to say that about the various other things that, that Jesus taught that are clearly binding upon us today? Jesus came to introduce Himself as the one who would instigate or would shed His blood to institute the new covenant. And he taught us many things in the gospel before his death and after his death, before the new covenant was instituted on the day of Pentecost. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And on down the line. So understand that what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 19 is not the law of Moses. This is the will of God. This is the will of God that will take you back to the very beginning. When God instituted the marriage relationship and said, when you're joined to one another, you become one flesh. Uh, others, and, and, and we might add, 
that if Matthew 19 is not binding on our marriage relationships today, and we only have from Acts 2 on, then you don't even have fornication as a basis for divorce. It's even a, a, a relationship even beyond that, and that has been severed even for fornication, uh, would still not be acceptable according to what's taught from Acts 2 on. And so, we must first of all recognize that this is the teaching of Christ, as well as the Sermon on the Mount, which He was instituting for His disciples and for the followers of the New Covenant. And other people uh, would say that this matter of fornication as the only reason for divorce, some would say that's a Christian law. That Jesus introduced that as the law of Christ, and that is for Christians, and if you obeyed the gospel after you were already living in adultery, your relationship began before you were a Christian, and therefore you could continue in it. You were not bound to His teaching concerning only fornication as a reason for divorce because you weren't a Christian. And that was for Christians. And so that's not binding on you. But we must understand that from 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, that people violated the laws of God by being fornicators and by being homosexuals. That these are principles that are binding from God in the beginning. And so the marriage relationship was designed not as a Christian law, but it was designed by God from the very beginning. And so everybody is bound to the law of marriage, whether they're a Christian or not. It's not simply a part of the new covenant. It is a law that is binding upon men before the new covenant was ever given. And that goes back to the very beginning, as Jesus said in Matthew, the 19th chapter. And so there are a lot of ways in which people respond to this permanency of marriage in order to continue in a relationship that is an adulterous relationship after they have obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the point of, we need to, to recognize in the permanency of marriage is that God designed marriage from the beginning for the human race. And this is not something that God simply designed for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And so it is that even the laws of God with regard to morality, the laws of God with regard to the principles of righteous conduct, are laws that existed before the new covenant was ever given. The new covenant that was given by God that we submit ourselves to, that we commit ourselves to, that new covenant relationship that we've, we've entered into abounds with principles 
that are eternal in the mind of God and abounds with principles that existed long before Jesus Christ ever came to this world and long before the Holy Spirit ever came to apostles and prophets to reveal unto them the new covenant. And that's why we say, as we did before, that in 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, when Paul writes to these Corinthians about their life before they obeyed the gospel, he said, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with men, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. Now how did they become fornicators or idolaters if they were not under law to those things? You see, these aren't Christian laws. These are laws that go back from the very beginning in which God condemned idolatry and condemned adultery and condemned stealing and condemned those things. Those, these are not things that are limited to the new covenant. And so these men had violated the law of God before they ever came under the new covenant. And the same thing is true with regard to marriage. When you enter into a marriage relationship, you are bound to the laws of God with regard to the husband and wife, which began in Genesis the second chapter, when God instituted marriage and said, if any man would leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, those two then shall become one flesh. And so let us understand that, that when we enter into marriage, that we're entering into a relationship that existed long before there was a new covenant. And if as an unbeliever you have severed your relationship with your wife or with your husband for reasons other than fornication and have married somebody else, you have violated the law of God that is from the beginning, not a law of God that's limited to the new covenant. And you can't say, well, I wasn't under the new covenant, therefore I can stay with my mate now that I come under the new covenant. No, you have violated God's law of marriage that existed long before the new covenant, and you live in adultery just as sure as somebody else is guilty of fornication or idolatry without being under the new covenant. And so this idea that I came to Jesus Christ, and my sins were washed away. And therefore, as it were, my old mate has been washed away, and my relationship is now pure. That simply is not true. And it's difficult, and I recognize that it is. And some of the most difficult studies that I've ever had to engage in and had to talk to people about involve people that were living in a relationship that violated the principles of marriage that God established from the beginning. And it was heartbreaking to have to talk to those people about the condition of their soul and to get them to recognize that in order to please God, they were going to have to come out of that 
adulterous relationship and to live without a mate for the rest of their lives. Now, that's tough. And I know that's difficult. It's hard to do. It's hard to have to do. But let us keep in mind, we're trying to save people's souls. And we do them no favor at all if we ignore a relationship or a sinfulness that's in their lives and allow them to live in that relationship unto their death and then have to face God in judgment and learn that the relationship was not one that God could approve. And so the upshot of all that we're saying here this afternoon, brethren, and I know it's a difficult topic and I know we haven't spent enough time on some of these verses, but let us understand a very simple and a very basic point, and that's the purpose of our study this afternoon, that marriage is a permanent relationship. That you are bound to your husband, or you are bound to your wife, so long as you shall live. And you need to conduct yourself as a husband. You need to conduct yourself as a wife in such a way that you can maintain that relationship until the one of you should die. That's the permanency of marriage, and that's how God designed it from the beginning. We have no way of knowing why God said that if you violate that intimate one-flesh relationship, that your mate is free to marry again. But that's the only exception that God gives in His Word for severing a marriage relationship and being married again. And so, again, the point of our study this afternoon, marriage is permanent. Until death do we part. You're bound to your wife, you're bound to your husband, so long as you live. Let's live like husbands. And let's live like wives who are determined to maintain their relationship with their mate until death. And if there should be someone here at this service, for this reason or many other reasons, that needs to join themselves to the Lord, to become one of His children, to be added to His family, and added to His church, then would you come forward today and acknowledge with your lips that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you turn from your sins in repentance and be baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of sins? Or if you've been unfaithful to the Lord and in some way are living in sin as a child of God, would you not acknowledge that and repent of it and pray to God for forgiveness and if you feel the need to do so in a public way, we'll join with you. We want anybody who is in a condition at this hour that should Jesus come tonight, that you would be condemned. We want you to take care of that right now. We want you to respond to the invitation of the Lord while we stand and while we sing the hymn that's been selected. Oh, I will.
Thank you, man.